Hello and welcome to the first edition of Ascend Higher, the podcast of True Freedom Trust. My name is Stuart Parker and I'm the director of this ministry. I'll be talking today with Rob Wood, our head of speaking and teaching. We're a UK-based charity that holds to the historic Christian understanding of what the Bible teaches on sex and relationships. We provide teaching and biblical support. We also hold conferences and provide local support groups. Each quarter, we produce a magazine called Ascend. It's got a range of articles, reviews and personal stories. These all deal with the issues around what it's like to be a Christian attracted to others of the same sex. You can sign up to receive your free copy of Ascend by visiting our website, truefreedomtrust.co.uk. Now, in each of these podcasts, we'll take an article from Ascend magazine and explore it in greater depths. My colleague Rob has written an article for the summer magazine called Sacred Siblings, and that's the article we're going to be talking about in today's episode. Rob, good to have you with us. And maybe for anyone who's not read the article, could you tell us briefly what it's about and what your main points are in the article? Of course, great to be on the first ever TFT podcast. Um, So the article really is about what it means to be Christian brothers and sisters. So it's a very simple premise, but I'm looking to dig deep into that language of brother and sister and unearth its true meaning. So what does it mean that we as Christians share God as father? Um, What does it mean that we have that status because of grace and not because of what we can do or how we can earn that status? And what does it mean that we're family towards one another, towards, you know, hundreds of millions, potentially billions of other Christians, practically for us on the ground? What does that mean for us, especially as it relates to the topic of same-sex attraction? Um, So that's kind of what the article's about. I hope it's written better than my explanation in many ways. And it'd be good to dig in uh, to some of the questions that it raises, because I'm still scratching my head for some answers. Okay, so here we've got... um biblical siblingship and there's lots of references in the bible to brothers and sisters what would you say is there a kind of a difference between the what the old testament says compared to the new testament when it comes to siblingship i I think so um yeah definitely the old testament does make some reference but it's often in contrast like in proverbs where it talks about um, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother and it's kind of assumed that brothers will display loyalty biological brothers but it and then contrasts that with good friends but it doesn't universalize that concept in the same way that the new testament does and i think that's probably because the fatherhood of god is more of a major theme in the new testament essentially jesus calling god his father and allowing each and every christian to do that on an individual basis as well and obviously from that common fatherhood relationship, there's a sibling relationship that all believers then share. So, yeah, I think there's definitely a shift between the old and the new in this kind of language. Yeah. So like in the Old Testament, there's a focus on the particular people of God, the particular race, the particular nation. Um, references perhaps to brothers and sisters are really largely biological ones. And then when you get to the New Testament, the focus is more on the spiritual family, how we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So it uses the same words, but there's much more of a sort of a spiritual emphasis. 
as we shift into um, the new covenant? Yeah, there's so many angles to look at that from. I mean, the importance in the Old Testament of um, childbearing, um, a kind of major theme for the covenant people of God. And then in the New Testament, there's obviously a shift and spiritual fruitfulness becomes more important. Like Jesus says, some people make themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. Um, but it doesn't do away with the importance of a family either. So, yeah, I guess that shift happens on a number of levels, but definitely that spiritual brotherhood that Christians share is more pronounced. Absolutely. And you see, we've talked about the the spiritual family and your, your first point that you really bring out in this article is that being part of a, the spiritual family is because we have the same father. God is our father. And that's the first point you really kind of bring out here. Exactly. And it's in writing this, I felt some of the points were so simple. They weren't worth saying on some level, but then on another level, they really were worth exploring. Um, and definitely that distinction and that obvious realisation that not everybody shares God as their father. God is the eternal father to the eternal son, uh, Jesus. But that relationship of fatherhood isn't shared with every single Christian. And I remember listening to a John Stott sermon where he made exactly that point. And I think he was pushing back against some of the liberalism of his day, which claimed that God's fatherhood was universal. And therefore, there's a kind of common brotherhood of man that exists. And if we take that um, thought process on, if we kind of inherit it, I think we're in danger of losing something which is unique and special about the bond that Christians have. It's precisely because there is a distinction um, that not everyone shares God's fatherhood that, um, yeah, we're able to call God father and therefore able to call one another brother and sister. Now, obviously, how we handle that is important because there's common grace. We could have good friendships uh, with people who don't follow Jesus. But, yeah, there's just something unique about Christians as a people. And the New Testament often uses that duality of language to drive that home. There are those who are in Christ who have God as their father, and there are those who are not in Christ and don't share him as father. And I guess that has to be the foundation for us. And that point comes out strongly, again, with another musical reference here. You, I think, refer to John Lennon's famous song, Imagine, where he talks about a brotherhood of man, this idea that exactly. everyone in mankind is a brother and sister to everyone else, and there's no kind of distinction. Whereas you contrast that with the biblical view, um, and Jesus is quite stark on this, and he challenges those who oppose him, uh, in John 8, 44, you belong to your father, the devil. And mm. and so it looks like the New Testament is saying it's not like there's some people with God as their father and other people who are fatherless. Everyone is either under the fatherhood of God or under the fatherhood of the devil. And before we were Christians, we were under the fatherhood of the devil, which is quite a shocking thing to say. But I guess what it's saying is we were kind of under his um, authority or under his influence. And we were rescued when we became Christians. We were rescued from the influence of the devil. And now we're under the influence of, of, of God the Father. 
exactly. Yeah, it is a <laughs> shocking thing to say. And how to put that in terms uh, that, you know, people can stomach is quite difficult to think of. But it is the message of scripture. That there's two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of light. There's a kingdom of darkness. Mm. Um, you know, salvation is being rescued from one kingdom and being transported into the kingdom of the son God loves. So, yeah, it's easy in our world, I think, to forget about that stark distinction. And especially when we see common grace and beauty and, you know, maybe family members who don't follow Jesus or really close friends who don't follow Jesus. Mm. Um, and we can celebrate what's good because everyone is going to image something of God. And we're not saying that, you know, people who aren't Christians are completely bad people. Of course not. Mm. But I think the balance to that is we can't, go so far as to say there's no distinction at all um because if if there is no distinction at all then what does it mean to be a spiritual government system yes yeah, um, so i think it's probably quite important is. isn't it to sort of emphasize saying that someone um is under the or, or is, is kind of belonging to the devil doesn't mean that everything they do is evil it just means mm. that they're not yet in god's family it doesn't mean that we are to look down on them or to judge them um, but it does make the difference quite clear. And I, to me, that kind of really emphasizes that with other Christians, we're, we're perhaps closer than we think to them because we're under the, we kind of have that belonging to God the Father. But with non Christians, we're perhaps further than we think, even if they're our biological family, if they're not Christians, then they are on, under a kind of a in a different um, spiritual realm. Exactly. And balancing those two truths, I guess, um, you know, to love everyone, to recognise the good in everyone when it's reflected um, and to not be dismissive of that, but also to say, hey, there is something, you know, unique and different and set apart about Christians. They are um, a royal priesthood. That doesn't apply to the whole of humanity. They are a holy nation. That doesn't apply to the whole of humanity. Um, they're the body of Christ, etc. Um, yeah, and I think that's just important to recognise so that we don't lose the truth. Um, but who would have thought John Lennon would be one? It's shocking, really, isn't it? Indeed, yes. <laughs> In terms of how we relate to non-Christians, this perhaps um, this clarity should make our hearts uh, long to bring them into the family of God and to um, hold out Jesus' invitation to every person. 100%. And it also, I think, um, maybe going off on a tangent here, makes it all the more painful when you hear horror stories about the church. You know, I've heard so many people say that they found greater refuge within their non-Christian friends and greater acceptance in some cases than they've experienced with the people who should be their spiritual family, who there should be a close connection to. And I remember listening to um, Francis Chan on the internet making that exact point that he uh, was pastoring a former drug addict, some drug dealer, I think, who came to faith. And he said that the gang he belonged to beforehand was more of a family than the church family was to. And the kind of heartbreak that can cause for people. So I think this big truth does have major practical applications for how we treat one another and kind of yeah the posture of our hearts really mm, mm. so it doesn't mean that we can't have good friends who are non-christians mm. but it perhaps does mean that there's going to be something unique and special about our connection with other believers 
and something that's always yeah. going to be fundamentally different between our values and that of a non-Christian. Yeah, and we should mourn when that doesn't seem to be the case. Mm-hmm. How have we come um, to acknowledge God as our Father? Well, um, it's always by adoption. He He has chosen us and adopted us into his family. So that kind of brings us on to the next section. So, Rob, um, talking about adoption, uh, my sense is that in our modern culture, adoption is often looked upon as a second best compared to sort of biological belonging to a family. Often in storylines and dramas, adopted children, there comes this point where they're told by their parents. So actually you're an adopted child. And then the, the child often wants to go on to meet their biological parents if possible, which of, of course is understandable. Yeah. But with God, there's something, isn't there, about the normality of being adoption, of, of being adopted and, and being that's the way that we join his family. The Bible tells us that we need to be born again. Mm. not born naturally into God's family we're all tainted by the fall our own sinful natures and in order to be adopted we have to come under the blood of Jesus so I was wondering how do you think we can move from a a worldly view of adoption being second best to more like the Christian view that says adoption into God God's family is a wonderful and precious thing yeah so Great observation. I, I did say that I had a good relationship with my brothers. I've just remembered that we used to say you're adopted as an insult for some reason. Mm. Um, that kind of just goes to show, you, you know, there is something within the psyche, isn't there, that can actually look on it as something that's second best. And the fact is it isn't. Um, it's a wonderful thing. So when it comes to Christians being adopted, I think there's two, at least two ways um, for us to think about it that ensures we think about it correctly uh, the first is what's our view of God and if our view of God is right then um, there's always going to be um, you know a distinction God is holy God is other um, man cannot possibly uh, know him uh, through our own efforts by our own skill um, and I guess natural theology could only take you so far and because of that um, there has to be an adoption there has to be a a process where you're brought into God's family. And the, the second thing to look at, I think, is that adoption's by grace. And because it's by grace, it's something to be celebrated. It's um, in the same way that no child earns their right to be adopted. Um, you know, God looks on us and by grace um, brings us into his family. And I remember at one of our national conferences, I'm not sure if you remember it, but Simon Ponsonby made that point quite powerfully. Mm. And he used the um, story of a child being adopted, um, you know, in the world on a movie, I think it was, and compared that to our spiritual adoption as well. And there's something really moving about the choice of the parents, the love from the parent that came first in order to adopt the child. Mm. And if we really understand that grace, it yeah shows us why adoption should be held in such high honour, I guess. Mm, that's really helpful and so we can find value in the fact that God has chosen us to be adopted into his family exactly and I think it also means that we can't control the process 
fiber. Mm -hmm. And because we can't control the process, it means that there's a huge amount of diversity within God's family. Um, you know, one of my brothers looks slightly different. He was always the one that we would say, oh, well, you're adopted. And just from the record, he wasn't. Mm -hmm. But the fact that biological siblings have a resemblance, um, you know, in some senses, that's great. But as spiritual brothers and sisters, there's a huge diversity amongst us. And that's something that on one level we can grasp. We know that, you know, there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. Um, that famous, uh, between male and female, that famous list that Paul gives in Galatians. Mm. Um, but in another sense, there are areas where naturally we can um, just retreat people who are like us. So I wondered if you had any thoughts on the whole area of diversity and what adoption says about that area for Christians. Yes, yeah, interesting, isn't it? Because often when we feel a sense of belonging to a group, it's because this set of people are something like us. We have something in common with them, our nation or our language, our ethnicity, mm. social class, um, area of work, perhaps. But in God's family, there's such gr massive diversity. There's people from every every corner of the earth, every um, area of society. Um, and you, we could even claim brothers and sisters who are not yet alive because they've either lived hundreds of years ago or they're even going to live in the future. But in the kind of the in eternity, these people are all part of God's family. So there's such a huge range of people within God's family. And and I think you've put in your article, no other grouping or affiliation can come close to the bond that Christians share. Um, exactly. Yeah. And but, it's so hard, isn't it? But yeah. from my experience, I remember being, um, you know, visiting the pub with the people from the church after service. And we were all so different. <laughs> and in a sense, that was a really good thing because a, a friend made the point. I couldn't think of any other grouping or affiliation or anything really that would bring those people together in the way that church does mm. um yeah so i guess there is something still in our human nature though isn't there where we tend to gravitate towards people who are like us um, Absolutely, yeah. and um yeah i wonder how we fight against that so i think that's a big challenge that comes out of this for me is how do we look beyond the political ideologies um mm the personalities that you know that we might gravitate towards to see that more spiritual side of what really we have in common with others it's not about the way that we look or the background that we come from it's it is about being chosen together it is about the uh, the object of our affections uh, who is the father and that's what brings us together. And perhaps it's it's when we when we worship, when we look at the Bible together, that we appreciate more all that we have in common. And then we can increasingly set aside the, more and more of the worldly differences. Mm. I mean, um, something often here within the members of True Freedom Trust, um, people who experience same sex attraction often talk about the feeling of being different and struggling to find belonging within church. Mm. And I guess this fact that there is diversity within God's family, um, I don't know, how, how would that 
and enable people to, to to look on the church more positively. I think when that happens and when you go into a say a church meeting and there's people clearly of all sorts of social classes and ethnic backgrounds and even nationalities I think that's a wonderful witness isn't it to the way that a love for Jesus and a belonging to his family can bring people together and look beyond the superficial differences and that's mm. a, I think that's really a big that's a big challenge to our culture when they see that I think particularly in this day and age when there is um so much fear and acrimony and and division when christians can embody that that diversity and that to be something which is heartfelt and genuine that's a, that's an amazing witness of the difference that god can make in our lives yeah couldn't put it better myself so we've got we've had sort of the two first points which are like our sort of foundational points god is our father adoption is by grace and that kind of moves us on to the final point what does that look like being christians as a family together so talking about christians being family you start off this section in your article rob talking about um some of the familial obligations that israelites would have had and gets a little bit technical here so maybe you can explain these points i think it's leverite marriage and a relative who acts as a financial redeemer can you maybe just explain a little bit about what those duties might have been as part of a family in um in jewish culture yeah sure so um i think it falls partly into the point we were making about the difference in cultures where family was honoured and because family was honoured in such a way um, there were clear obligations one had to two family members um, which again maybe doesn't translate so well into our culture um, so those two examples are quite common in scripture the first one is um, the obligation that brothers had um, when their brother died so the obligation would be that they would marry the wife uh, have children and marry the widow and you know have children uh, to keep the brother's name alive essentially and a challenge was actually put to Jesus um, where a I don't know what she was doing to kill all these people but uh, a person was essentially uh, marrying lots of people and those people were dying and they ask in the resurrection whose um, husband will she have oh, yeah. and Jesus softly challenges that so that was coming from the familial obligation that was kind of expected of Israelites and also the yeah and the, the redeemer element as well so there's lots of different elements there's a redeemer of blood um you know the person who would avenge um murders and that sort of thing there's the financial redeemer um we see the redeemer used um i think in the book of ruth as well with boaz uh, the kinsman redeemer um so it's all a way of saying really that there were obligations that family members had to one another um so as Christians, we're now family and, you know, we have obligations to one another as well. Um, mm. It says that we don't, I think it's is it one John, that how can we say that we have love for our brother if we don't meet their, their needs, whether that's um, practical or in some other way. Yes, and I think we have obligations that, of purity as you well. You quote that here in your article and you, you also quote Galatians 6 
as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So there's almost like a special mm. obligation to practically and materially support those who are also in God's family. And um, Absolutely. yeah, so it's kind of it's the whole belonging to family. It's not just a warm, fluffy feeling. Actually, mm. this does come down to are we going to put our money where our mouths are? Are we going to help people out and um, practically we're going to give them our time, our money when, when, when it's needed and our attention and our, our love as we would do with our biological families? Totally. And that's the big question, isn't it? And I think duty, the language of duties and obligations um, could make us feel nervous in some ways. It's good process, but it's, it's there and there is this familial status and because we're family we do have obligations to one another and I guess what I was trying to explore is the the difficulty of how that works out because if we're saying that each and every Christian around the world is my brother and my sister um how practically can we care for all of those people how can we fulfill our duties to those people um doesn't the sheer size and scope of our you know, the, the people who are spiritual siblings, doesn't that almost take away what's special about our obligations? Um, so I try to work through some of those questions, and I'm afraid I don't come to many good answers. Um, yeah, so I wondered if you had any thoughts on that, generally. Yeah, no, I, I get where you're coming from, and it's sort of, well, there are millions, as part of God's family, we have millions of brothers and sisters, many of whom are in difficult situations so we can't help all of those people um in in to the same level so your picture here mm. that you start writing about concentric circles of intimacy makes some sense mm. so the local church i guess has to be the place where we start the people that are around us um are going to be the people that we that god calls us to help um initially and also the biological family as well that's not that doesn't get subsumed in the spiritual family Paul says to Timothy I think for um you know those who are biologically related should care for one another's needs before it goes to the church and if they fail to do that then they should be treated worse than an unbeliever which is really strong language so yeah there are those concentric circles of intimacy that people enjoy and I think you know what's lovely when it comes to spiritual friendship and those um that depth of relationship that people can enjoy with one another is that it's built on that foundation of being a brother and sister in christ um, so the two kind of go hand in hand with one another yeah that makes sense and this seems to kind of call us to the importance of getting involved with the local church because if my mm. family as you say is my primary community then um, I can't do the Christian life on my own. There's something so fundamentally um, family-based about being a Christian. This isn't just a privatised thing. This is God is my father and these are my brothers and sisters. So how can I not be meeting with them? How can I not be loving and supporting and, and spending time with them? Um, it, it really kind of brings that out, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And yeah, it's an important challenge, 
I think. If, am I thinking of these people as my family, as my brothers and sisters? And how does that inform the way that I act towards them? Yeah. And, um, you know, it's such common language, I think, that it's easy to lose the the challenge of it. Yeah. And then you go on to sort of talk about how we find connection in various different communities. You know, it might be a hobby that we have or certain political ideology people might feel a connection with something like the lgbt community mm. they might sort of have a sense of belonging there but for a christian their primary um sense of belonging it seems to me that the new testament is saying that it, it's to the church it's to god's family it's to your brothers mm. and sisters who are also adopted into the same family as you nothing as you say can come close to the bond that christians share together so there's a sense of calling for us to move closer to god's family and perhaps to loosen some of those old ties to other groups so that we can fully invest ourselves in the family of god yeah and that belonging is objective isn't it it's a, a new status that we've inherited as adopted uh, sons and daughters of god so it's not just subjective and i think that's where the challenge can come sometimes when people do struggle to to distance those old ties maybe it's to the lgbt community or uh, as you mentioned whatever it might be um but yeah recognizing that objective reality that now we are part of a new community we're part of a new family and that objective reality brings objective obligations that we have to fulfill. And I think that acts as a really nice foundation that we share the same father, we have the same interest in honouring Christ and spreading the gospel. And that's a really wonderful foundation for um, those maybe extra circles of intimacy to develop on top of yeah. um, with people who, you know, we fellowship with in a maybe a more unique way than the rest of God's children. Um, there's a question here as well, I think, that all those other communities to which we could belong are all for the here and now, I guess. There's nothing eternal or permanent about them. Um, so I wondered if you just wanted to speak about the permanence that we have as Christian family in contrast to all of those others. Yes, I mean, that's something that's that's fascinating to me that the idea that if if as a christian you're my brother or sister that's not just something for this life but that's something for eternity we will become as a family the bride of christ we will um persist into into eternity mm. jesus talks about you know something that's so important like marriage in this life <clears throat> well there's no more marriage in heaven the things that are going to last forever are those um, spiritual um, relationships. So for me, that's a real motivation to invest in spiritual relationships in this life, because um, they're going to be the, the one, the, the relationships that, that, that keep going into eternity. Mm. And, and I guess what flows from those relationships, the yeah. fruit of them will last as well. Exactly. Whether that's evangelism yeah. or service or yeah. whatever it is. And, and Jesus kind of seems to bring this out in Matthew 12 when he talks about changing priorities. His mother and brother, biological mother and brother, stood outside 
wanting to speak to him and someone comes to him and says Jesus your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you but Jesus replied well who is my mother and who are my brothers and he pointed around him to his disciples and said here are my mothers and brothers you know my spiritual siblings whoever does the will of my father in heaven heaven is my brother and sister and mother and so it's quite shocking isn't it it's almost it feels a bit insulting to his biological family but he's saying actually i need to invest in these spiritual relationships because they're the ones that are going to last yeah yeah there's a permanence to them that yeah. is different to every other relationship we could have yeah and alongside the obligations we have on a practical level there's also a expectation that there'll be a purity that exists um, within god's family find it interesting that paul doesn't give a long list of words um you know a long list for how christians are to act towards one another we're simply to treat one another as family members mm. treat younger women as sisters older women as mothers and then the phrase with absolute purity mm. comes in so this idea of being a spiritual family has so many applications um, in ethics in you know how we treat one another um, in our hearts and also the more um, practical outward obligations as well that come from mm. Yeah, absolutely. And as if we're part of a family, then everything that we do, good or bad, impacts upon the family name. And so we mm. need to be careful about about that. We're not just islands doing our own thing, um, but it has a knock on effect on all our Christian brothers and sisters. It reminds me a little bit about another article you wrote recently, Rob, um, in Ascend. Why does my private sin hurt the church? Yeah. I, I thought of that article as well but i didn't want to it's good you raised it instead of me i think but yeah. that definitely hits on some of those points yeah and that's available on our on the true freedom trust website well thanks to rob for joining us today as we've looked at what it means to have spiritual brothers and sisters under the fatherhood of god i've certainly enjoyed our conversation and digging deeper into this subject my name is Stuart Parker, and you've been listening to the Ascend Higher podcast by True Freedom Trust. Thanks for listening. <laughs>